open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 37. We're going to be in a couple of different chapters today. And um, I'm really excited about this new series. And uh, I'm going to try to talk plenty loud for you this morning, but my voice has been going out. So you could pray for strength in my voice today. And if I get quieter and quieter, it's so that I don't end up coughing in front of you the whole time. Just so you know. But this new series is actually one that I've wanted to do for a really long time. I've just never had a good opportunity to do it. And uh, the more you get to know me a little bit, the more you'll understand that uh, preaching, uh, prepping, this part of ministry is what I love to do. I, I love it. Seriously, it's one of those tasks where every week... Um, I'm amazed that God has allowed me to do that as part of my job because I just get fired up about it. And so for me, coming up with sermon uh, series and ideas, I just get really excited. And some people look at me like I'm weird when I say that. But I I really enjoy it. And uh, it's one of the reasons I get so fired up when I'm up here. It's not an act. If you were to uh, talk to my wife, she'd be like, yep, this is how he talks about it all the time. Um. But this series is entitled, God Didn't Say That. And uh, I'm going to say that again, and then you're going to say it back to me. Okay, this series is entitled, God Didn't Say That. Okay. And the whole goal of this series is to take phrases or terminology or things that have become commonplace in our culture or in the church or in theology And to draw out these phrases that we hear. And sometimes we use them. I see them strung out all over social media a lot. And they're not in the Bible. And they're used as credited as as if God says this is truth. And so often, these simple phrases though seemingly harmless, and at times people are like, wow, that's really encouraging. It points us away from truth and often gives us this perception of who God is or who he's called us to be that just isn't true. And so this is going to be, it's not going to be a super long series of talks. We're going to be doing this for five weeks. I've got five different phrases, and we could probably think of more, but honestly... If I'm being frank, these are five phrases that I hear that just drive me bonkers. And there's a couple of them in here that are major pet peeves. If I ever catch you saying it, I will kindly and lovingly correct you. Okay? And I do mean lovingly and kindly. Okay? I don't get so worked up about this that I'm mean about it. Right? Um, But it's important. It's so important, church. That what we say and what we share and how we encourage people isn't just thrown out there out of nowhere. And I can't stress that enough. Because if we really believe that as followers of Christ we stand for truth, then we have to make sure we stand for truth. And I hate to say it, but there is just as many followers of Christ who share false information as there are people who have no affiliation with Jesus whatsoever. And how is our culture around us supposed to differentiate between truth and untruth when they can't even find truth in a place that claims they have truth? Okay? That's why this is so important and so crucial. And so, I want to open us in prayer, 
as we get ready to enter into this series, but then into this specific phrase today, and um, pray that God would just make us a culture and a people of truth, okay? So I like to have you pray with me for one major thing as we go through each of these series, okay? And this, this time, that's what I'm praying, is that this would just be a, re- a revelation of truth to, to all of us, and that we would be known, a part of our culture, not just here at E-Free, but as the church, okay, would be that we are for truth and that we have a high standard of what truth is, okay? So, let's pray together and then we're going to jump into this, uh, this today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you've given us this treasure Lord, this treasure that many don't even have still. I pray that today, as we open this up together, that you would be glorified as we seek to understand and see our culture, our world, our own lives through a lens of truth. Father, may you convict us of areas where we have untruth that we're sharing or that we're speaking and that we would... um, Move towards a place in our life and a a purpose and intentionality that we are standing on a foundation of truth rooted in your scripture, Lord, because we believe that your word is true. So we commit this to you today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our phrase for today, this first one that I hear, and uh, you will hear this phrase in some uh, church places, okay? God just wants me to be happy. Okay? Now, I'm going to read this phrase again, and as part of this series, this is going to be the fun part of this whole series. You guys are going to get to say what the series is about every time I read one of these phrases. Okay? Alright? So, we're going, to do, we're going to do a practice, and then we're going to do a real one. Okay? So, this phrase, God just wants me to be happy. Alright, we're going to do it one more time. I want you to say it like you mean it. Like, Ugh! God didn't say that. Okay? Alright? Channel your soul into that. <clears throat> Come on. God just wants me to be happy. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Okay. Now, in, in 1988, Bobby McFerrin, inspired by some posters, wrote a song that many of you, if you heard the tune, you could start singing it in your head. Alright? Ah, I heard it. I heard it. Okay? And you start hearing that. Right? Don't worry, be happy. Right? Okay? And now that's really the only part of the song most people sing. But let me, I want to read you just, just for fun. I want to read a couple of the verses here. Yeah, it's stuck in your head now. Okay? Alright? Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say, your rent is late, he may have to litigate, don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile, don't worry, be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown, and that will bring everybody down. So don't worry, be happy. Now, when you hear lyrics like that, I I don't know about you, I read that and I thought, that is ridiculous. 
Because every one of those circumstances, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be happy about this. Especially the one where it says someone took your bed. Who thinks of that? That's just mean. You expect me to be happy? No. Okay? But the reality of this goes, and the reason I bring this up, this, this narrative perfectly sums up what the broader culture around us, the narrative is saying. That you deserve to be happy. And so no matter what's going on, no matter what's taking place, no matter what's happening, don't worry. Just be happy. Be happy and, and rid your life of anything that doesn't make you happy. And you know what? Something comes along that threatens to make you unhappy. Just push to the side. Be happy. And so what we end up with, what we have, is a whole bunch of people that are wandering through this desert searching for happiness. And even us here, we fall into that. I fall into that. We we struggle with this. And as a part of American culture, we struggle with it even more. And so when we have to, when we think about this, it's not surprising that even in the church we start hearing things like, God just, God just wants me to be happy. And so anything that threatens that, man, that's just not what God wants. And so what this, what this causes is all of a sudden things start to become okay that shouldn't be okay. We start to be okay with relationships a certain way. We start to become numb to things that should make us sick. Because it's rooted in, well, this, this is what makes me happy. And you know what? Previous generations, it, it really didn't make them happy, but that's okay. That was them. This is me. And rooted in this idea is a false premise. And really what you're going to find out, what we're going to find out today through Scripture, is that it threatens to create a God separate of the one true God. A God that's created in our own image and through our own perception, through our own eyes. And so we're going to look at two different passages. Our focus, a majority of this is going to be in Psalm 37, all right, where I had you turn. And then we're going to also be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Those are our two passages today. And I'm going to try each one of these messages. I really desire that we don't hop around all over the place because it's important, church, that you understand and can root into a passage of Scripture and go, I see this so clearly. And I don't want to be someone who just pieces stuff together to enforce my point. This needs to be God's perspective, okay? This needs to be God's word, not mine. And so we're taking a phrase that culture says and asking the question, what does God really say about that? All right? And so in this, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a point and then we're going to read the scripture passage that reinforces that. All right? So the first thing I want to emphasize here is we seek to understand what does God say. <clears throat> the first thing is that what you desire is shaped by what you delight in. Okay, what you desire is shaped by what you delight in. Psalm 37, and I'm going to start in verse 1, says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, those first four verses, just in and of themselves, are pretty loaded with a lot that we could just pull from and go, go off of. Simply the first section, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, that's a challenge in and of itself. But to go further into this, there's something specifically in verses 3 and 4 that should challenge our attention and ask a very specific question to ourselves. What do I find my delight in? What do I find my delight in? If I delight in my own happiness, the reality of this is, then anything that offers me that, I desire. Right? If I delight in my work, then anything that allows me more time to focus or to do that or something related to that, that's what I desire. And so if we trace that back, and we come to this root, this concept in Scripture, trust in the Lord, that's the first exhortation. Do good, that's the second in verse 3. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. Now, all of that comes before the statement, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how do we flip that? We turn it around. And we go, God wants me to be happy. Therefore, if God wants me to be happy, then he really wants to give me that which I desire. And this is what I desire, so I'm going to do these things because I'm convinced that if I do these things, God's going to give me what I desire. That's our, that's our thinking. That's our human way of thinking through that verse. And I have heard and seen people use it in that context over and over. It makes me want to scream. Okay? Because it doesn't start with your desire. It starts with your delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Befriend faithfulness. These are all characteristics that are ridding of yourself. They're stepping away from a focus on me and shifting it to a focus on that of God. And the reality of this text is, the more that I delight in the Lord, the more my desires are going to be different. Because what you desire is shaped by what you delight in. And so if I delight in the Lord, then what I desire is going to be directly correlated to what He desires. That's a big difference. And that's the difference, church, between opening up the Bible and saying, Alright God, this is what I want you to tell me. And opening up the Bible and saying, God, teach me. Grow me. Challenge me. God doesn't just want me to be happy. That's, that's not a main goal. But He desires that we would delight in Him. 
And he knows that the more we delight in him, the more we're going to desire him. We're going to desire the things of him. And we're going to pursue those desires because that's who he's made us to be. What do the things, this is a good question to ask as application for you. What do the things I desire now say about what I delight in? What do the things I desire right now say about what I delight in? That would be a great discussion question for a group of you. Okay? Just sit around and talk about that. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? How do you spend relationships? What do those look like? And how does that reveal or show you where your delight is? Secondly, this one's one of those hard pills to swallow. God will always act in accordance with His will, not yours. Okay? God will always act in accordance with His will, not yours. Let's look at verse 5. And I'm going to read through verse 7 and then jump a little bit and we're going to read a little bit more. It says, commit your way to the Lord. That'd be a good phrase that we should, uh, we should say to each other. So turn to your neighbor and say, commit your way to the Lord. Now turn to the neighbor on the other side of you and say, trust in him. Okay. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. That's a pretty encouraging promise. He will bring forth your righteousness, that's key, as the light And your justice as the noonday. Be still. Oop, there's another one. Turn to your neighbor and say, be still. Before the Lord. And wait. Now turn to your neighbor and say, wait. Patiently for Him. Man, that's a hard one. Fret not yourself. Alright, we're going to keep doing this. Turn to your neighbor and say, fret not. Over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Then if you look at verse 14, it says, The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Now, there was a lot in there that if you were to really look at that and consider, you would go, man, there is not much of that that sounds like what earthly would make me happy right now. If we're being honest, okay? Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. It does not say He will do what you want. It says He will act. This, this is a great emphasis, again, on the need for prayer, okay? The need for us to be praying and to petition and seek God to commit to Him, to trust in Him with anticipation 
that he will act. I was reminded last night, sometimes our kids teach us things spiritually that go way deeper than they even know. And one of the things I've started realizing is my middle, my middle child, Briley, every time she prays, she starts her sentence with thank you. So she prays as if it's already happened. And it started making me think, God, why don't I do that? Why don't I pray with that kind of anticipation? So when someone's sick, she'll say, thank you for helping such and such get better. Or thank you for helping mommy travel home safe when she's not home yet. And there was just something in that that stuck with me of going, in her mind, she's praying to God and he's, he's, he's already acting. He's already answering. And how often I pray and I kind of doubt or question, right? Well, God, I'm praying because I know I need to pray. But you go over to this verse, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I don't like to do that. And yet, if you go back to verse 5, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still called to commit my way to the Lord and trust in Him and believe that He will act. Verse 6 highlights a major promise throughout Scripture where it says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Promises of how God will act when we let Him. When we commit our way to the Lord, when we trust in Him, when we're still before Him, we wait patiently for Him. He's going to act, but He's not going to act in accordance with our will. There may be times that it aligns, but that's not some magic trick that all of a sudden God's like, Ah, oh, you know what? I've said no so many times, I'll give Him one. Everything God does, He does with intentionality. That's the amazing thing about the God we serve. Is we're not in some huge fishbowl where he's just like, oh, let's see what happens. He has a purpose and an intention behind every step of that. And we see that if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you see that. You start seeing, oh my goodness, thousands of years span this book and everything starts lining up. That's the vastness of the God we serve. <clears throat> Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to who? Your Father in heaven. His will, not mine. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of, that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That He would be glorified, not me. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him... We've obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's a pretty blanketed statement that God's going to work 
all things. It's not, there's not a mix-up in interpretation there. Okay, it's not super difficult. Of him who works all things, how many things? All things according to the counsel of his will. Get this, Proverbs 21.1. I love to quote this passage when we get frustrated with political leadership. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Who's in control? God is, okay? And then Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 This is after Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. He becomes proud and boastful. He says, look at this great kingdom I've built. God humbles him. And then he's restored later on. And it says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will. Among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, no one can stand before God and go, God, you know what? I think my idea was better. Because it's God we're talking about. The creator of the universe. God will always act in accordance with his will, not yours. Now, those first two... What you desire is shaped by what you delight in, and God will act in accordance with His will, not yours, are really the foundation to the main point when we're thinking about a response to this statement, God just wants me to be happy. Okay? And so the third, the third point in this, your worldly happiness is not God's main focus. Okay? Your worldly happiness is not God's main focus. Flip with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Almost all the way to the back of the Bible. Yeah, first and second Peter, first, second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. So there's not much space in there. First Peter chapter one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading in verse thirteen. And I'm gonna read through verse twenty one. Verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb. Without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory 
so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, if you glance back at verse 15 and 16, it emphasizes this point. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, some of you may be sitting here today going, that's really easy for, for God to say. He's God. Be holy as I am holy. The reality is we sit on the wrong side of this coin too often when we read this verse and we say, oh man, I've, I've got to be holy. This is about me. This is all about me. And we miss the second part. Be holy as I am holy. You and I already have through Christ, the means in which to be holy. It is not of our own strength or of our own mission, of our own will, of our own power that we become holy. It starts with a God who already is holy. And that as we Pursue Him more as we delight ourselves in Him more as that becomes our focus. Rather than my happiness to pursue God's holiness. Everything else starts changing. Galatians 5 reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that He gave to those who believe in the name of Jesus, that they would have a helpmate. If we pursue God's holiness, if that becomes our focus, then we start seeing those things more and more, and less and less of what we see in our human nature. It's interesting because if you think about the difference between someone who's a teacher and someone who's simply a prideful bragger, that's the difference you see. God is saying, be holy as I am holy. He's not just saying, look at me, I'm holy. Look at me, I'm holy. Brag about me, I'm holy. He's saying, be holy. I sent my son to show you what it looks like to live a life that's focused on what you should. I, I had my son die so that you could have life. Don't just stay where you are. Don't root into just being happy as humans would define happiness. Pursue a holiness. Now I want to clarify, does God want us to enjoy His creation? Everyone say yes. God has given us so many amazing things. Marriage relationships, people relationships. He's given us food. He's given us creation. And we're supposed to enjoy those things, okay? But if we simply enjoy those things and enjoy pursuing our own happiness, we're missing what his ultimate desire is. God is more focused on our holiness, which is eternal, than our happiness, which is temporary. Okay? So how do I live that out? 
There are going to be days when your kids are driving you up a wall, not happy. But God is most concerned with how you are shaping them to follow Christ in that moment. There are going to be days where work is stressing you out, not happy. But God is more concerned with how you remain set apart amongst your coworkers. There are going to be days where life just doesn't line up and you're not sure how it's all going to work out. Not happy. But God is more concerned with who or what you turn to in those times. So the application of this today, how do I pursue holiness? That's the application question. First off, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight in the promises of His Word. Delight in the opportunities to reveal His love to other people. Delight in the hope of life beyond this world. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Secondly, pursue joy rather than happiness. Joy is not contingent on circumstances. It is rooted in what is true. Joy cannot be rooted in something you alone have accomplished. Because that which we have accomplished will ultimately be replaced by something else I want to accomplish. True joy is rooted in that which cannot be taken away from you. It's rooted in Christ. It's rooted in His sacrifice. And rooted in the concept of the knowing the truth that no matter what happens to me here, no one can take that from me. Nothing can happen to that. That's why Jesus encouraged the Sermon on the Mount. Make sure you're storing up treasure in the right place. And so I want to challenge you, church. The reality is, you're going to hear phrases like, God just wants me to be happy. What do you say? Good. But we have to ask ourselves, what am I pursuing? Am I pursuing happiness or holiness? Now, I'm going to have the men come forward, and we're going to take communion at the end of our service today. And the reality of this is, when we're thinking about holiness, this is, this is really where it starts. Hey, it starts by us recognizing that we need a Savior. The pursuit of holiness has to start with Christ, or the only sinless person who walked this earth and who gave His life. He rose again. That's what we celebrated last week. And so as we take communion today, as this is served, as you receive communion, I want you to think about what we asked at the beginning of this, of this message. What do you delight in? What has become your delight that should be rooted in God and His truth? That should be rooted in Christ? And spend some time in, just in confession and repentance saying, God, I want, to, I want to delight in You and You alone. I want to pursue that. I don't just want to be happy. I want to be joyful. Because of what you've done. Okay. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to take this now, as we receive this, and as we reflect on our own lives, I pray that we would 
be still before you, as Psalm 37 said. That we would commit our way to you, that we would trust you, that we would delight in you. Lord, show us, reveal us the areas where maybe we're blinded and that we need to find our delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.